Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. So this week I have the incredible Amy Wheeler on the podcast. And I have to say, I kind of fangirled out a little bit before she and I started recording because she has been working in the yoga therapy world for a long time. So I was really thrilled to have her on. And she and I talk all about money mindset, which is a really important discussion for the yoga world. Now, before we get into the conversation with me and Amy, I did want to mention that at the end of September, September 25th, 2021, I am hosting a all day long learning retreat with the amazing Joanne Spence, who is a CIAYT, a yoga therapist, as well as a licensed clinical therapist. And she wrote the book, Trauma Informed Yoga a toolbox for therapists. Now, Joanne is going to teach us all day about what it is to host safe space for people in our group yoga classes and privates and one-on-one experiences. And if you sign up, if you're in North America, I will drop ship a copy of her incredible new book straight to your door. So The link to that is in the show notes for this episode. And if you follow me on Instagram, it will also be in my Instagram bio. We'll see you in there. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Working in Yoga. This week, I have the amazing Amy Wheeler, PhD. I'm going to add PhD because that's just cool, (laughs) on the podcast. And I'm so thrilled that she's here. Okay, so let me tell you what I know. Number one, she's from Iowa and so am I. And I'm excited for Iowa people to be in yoga and yoga therapy. Hey, Matthew Taylor. (laughs) And she used to be the president of the International Association of Yoga Therapists Board. She is a longtime yoga therapist. She runs Optimal State Yoga Therapy. You should read her books. You should buy her stuff. But she's going to tell you about all of her stuff herself. This is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> when you said introduce yourself, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's cool. Now I'm like, whoa, what do I say? All right, so <laughs> I'm gonna introduce myself by telling a story. And that is, um, I was totally into like Iyengar yoga, vinyasa flow yoga. And I went to India thinking that I was going to get more Iyengar and more Ashtanga type yoga. And I landed at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandaram where they have been doing uh, yoga therapy for 
you know, decades. And at first I was like, what is this? What is all this breathing and meditation and ritual and chanting and mini asana? Like I, I didn't, I really didn't understand what had happened and where I had landed. But I also had after three days of all of this type of, you know, more subtle tools of yoga, I had a feeling come over me that I'd never had felt before. And now I can say that sattva, it's being in that complete state of peace. But I didn't know what that was at that time. And that's kind of scary to me because I had been doing yoga for several years at that point, but I'd never gone that deep into a peaceful feeling. And so at that time, I basically on a dime, I switched to yoga therapy. This was back in 2001, I think. Uh, And I never looked back and I came home to my yoga studio, which I had had 35 and 40 people in, in all of my classes. I was one of those popular teachers at the studio and my classes dropped down to two people, sometimes one, sometimes zero, because now I was doing this weird thing in the early 2000s called yoga therapy. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody was interested in it. And I didn't care because I loved it. And I knew that it was the future. And I still know it's the future, uh, although it's getting closer to the present now. And so I just stuck with it. And and I I just kept doing yoga therapy until one day the, the IYT board asked if I'd like to come onto the board. And I think that was in, I don't know, 2015 or something like that. And then eventually became president of the board. And now I am a yoga therapy evangelical proselytizer. You know, I just, I have my own podcast on yoga therapy hour because I think the world needs yoga therapy. And so that's why I'm here today to talk about yoga and yoga therapy from the perspective of how can we make a sustainable living so that we can actually do this work. Okay. So you're my favorite. Thank you. (laughs) You say that to everybody, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean it though, truly, because I think it's so important that we talk about making sustainable livings in the work that we do, because the work we do is important and it should also be able to nourish us. Like it nourishes the humans in front of us. And I, I, the more I think we can have that conversation, the better, um, I don't feel like I I want us to push away the age of yoga professionals feeling guilty about making a living. Like let's wash our hair (laughs) and get that out of there. Like, and you are one of the first people, especially in yoga therapy, really talking about that and what I feel to be a practical way. So thank you for that. I just had that song. I'm going to wash that shame right out of my hair. (laughs) (laughs) And and I have to tell you, I know we're going to talk about this today, but so many people come with poverty mentality. And this is not to say we got into yoga to make millions and billions of dollars, but to not be able to eat, to not be able to pay your rent, to not be able to put gas in your car. We got to talk about this. Yeah. So, and and I will share with you how I actually got into yoga therapy was because I wanted to shift out of that mindset from being a yoga teacher. So I was one of those yoga teachers who was driving to 20 classes a week. It is still, I know it's still the joke. I was living out of my car and I did this while I was pregnant with both my children. In fact, 
I mean, crazy stories, Amy. Like, like I, my water broke four weeks early for my second child. And I met my class at the studio to tell them I couldn't practice before I went to the hospital. That's crazy. But I also wanted to make sure that they came back to see me in six weeks when I was came back because I needed to make a living. And I shifted to yoga therapy so that I could literally money-wise make more money per hour than I was making in classes. And then I took the training and it changed my life, of course. Yeah. Like it's so powerful. Yep. But I really want us to talk about poverty mindset and yoga. Like go. Let's go there. Yes. <laughs> so I tell my students, I, you know, I have a 11 month business course and every, you know, every week we meet live and then they have asynchronous videos and homework and workbooks. And, and the very first few weeks are on your mindset. And I have people like, I know all this, this is, you know, baby, whatever, like, this is what I teach my students. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, you've mastered that part. Let's move on to the next part. And we go on to the next part. Six weeks later, those same people are like, oh my God, I have a terrible mindset. I do not know how to overcome my trauma around money. I don't know how to get out of my poverty mentality. I'm like, go back and watch those first few videos. Go back and watch what we talked about. Because on one hand, we don't want to admit we have it as the beautiful yoga goddess who has all of her stuff together. And on the other hand, there's a real reality that most of us have that we have poverty mentality and we cannot work through our trauma around money until we're willing to admit that we have trauma around money. Yeah. That's number one. If you're listening, go for a walk right now and ask yourself, do I get triggered when I see that bank account dwindling down? And I know those bills are coming in. Do I start to freak out? Do I start to act mean to people? Do I start blaming and shaming my spouse and my kids and everybody else who has spent any of the money? Do I, um, you know, have a little breakdown and start bawling my head off in my bed, right? Like that's, that's trauma around money. And, and we have to admit that we have it and it's okay to have it. Yes, I think we live in a culture that perpetuates trauma around money. I mean, one of the things that I recently uncovered about myself, because, you know, it's not just a one and done sort of thing. It's like you peel like yoga, you're peeling a layer back and then you're like, oh, where'd that layer come from? And I really had like a thought the other day. I was like, oh, all rich people exploited somebody to get money all people who I would consider to be, you know, rich. No, we, we know the, the billionaires of the world, but there's also plenty of decent people with money who are out there in the world doing good things. And I, I like, I uncovered that about myself the other day and I went, Oh, Hey there. I'm hey there. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I had the same thing. Maybe that's an Iowa thing, but in my mind for decades, I thought, well, if you're that wealthy, you must have manipulated or use someone or abuse someone to get that money because that in my mind is the only way it could have happened. Yeah. And I really had to take good look at that and, and look at the chip on my shoulder against wealthy people. And where does that come from? And that comes from growing up in Iowa with six kids in my family, 
on the salary of a minister. And at the time when I was growing up, I think my dad made less than $20,000 buying our clothes at Goodwill, um, not having money for a prom dress, go on and never, never had a car. I mean, you, you, you got to walk two miles to school, right? So like all this stuff. And if there was somebody in high school or in town that had a lot of money, well, they were like the, the oddball, like, oh, well, I don't know how they got it. Like most of the people I went to school with and probably you too, Rebecca, we were farm kids. We didn't like, there there just wasn't a lot of money flowing around, at least when I grew up. So, and, and I grew up in actually a metropolitan area in Iowa. Mm. So we, we did, I did grow up with city kids, but it was, I, I do think it's Midwest mindset for sure. And I will speak to that expertise because I live in the Midwest and I, even though I've lived elsewhere, I landed back here that there is a, you are glorified and it is looked to be a good virtue. If you sort of push away money, if you say money doesn't matter, uh, you know, we're going to scrimp and save and anybody who isn't saving every single penny who buys that extra latte because it makes them feel good. They have a moral def- there's moral defunct to them, you know, <laughs> like, Wow, <laughs> like, that is how I grew up was I had a single mom and anybody who spent extra money that was considered extravagant there was something morally bankrupt with them. And I do think that there is some of that in the yoga community that really is amongst all of us. Yeah. I mean, I can completely relate to that. We didn't have the money to buy a latte, but I, if, if I did see somebody doing that, I think I would have, you know, in my younger years been like, why would they waste that? That's not okay. Yeah. So I, my, my first thing around, you know, poverty mentality is these are deep tentacles that were inserted all the way back. I think before the age of three into young adulthood, into grown womanhood, and we never examined them. And, you know, I have so many girlfriends that still are not examining them. They're lurking around trying to find a wealthy man to take care of them. And I'm saying, okay, it's time we do our work around money and around poverty mentality and, and, you know, basically giving away your power. It's time. Let's do it. We're in our fifties now. (laughs) I agree. And like, especially with women and and that's so relevant in yoga, because as we know in the West here, the vast majority of yoga professionals are women. We know our students are women. The vast majority of us who are teaching, who are yoga therapists, we are women doing the work. And, and there was, there was one moment where I was looking at the number of 2017, how much money was in yoga. And it was $44 billion, billion with a B and realizing that like 17 billion of that is in pants that is going into the pockets of male manufacturers instead of in the pockets of the women who are teaching the practice. I was like, that's not right. That's not right. I, d- I didn't know 17 billion with a B was spent on yoga pants. Yes, that was, yes, that was the, I mean, that's 1 billion is on Lululemon alone. Wow. Like let's, let's take some of that money back ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and, and so here's the thing, 
when there's so many of us in one industry with poverty mentality, number one, not valuing ourselves, not valuing our skills, not valuing our education, not valuing what we bring, which is nothing short of spectacular in most cases. And, and you're trying to compete with other people who don't value themselves. The entire market gets depressed. And, and, you know, we, we, the example I, I give is that we had someone come over to do some work on our house and we were paying a decent rent wage. And the gentleman actually said, what are you doing? You don't have to pay me this much. And we said, well, this is what you're worth. And he said, yeah, but so-and-so over there only pays me this much. And, and we said, yeah, but that's not right. You can't live on that. And we don't want to support that. Right. Yes. And even, you know, I'll hire someone off of Fiverr and they'll be asking for $10 an hour because they're in some other country. And when I finally get to know them and we decide to work together, I'm like, would you like $35 an hour? Or would you like $50 an hour or 75? And they look at me like I am from Mars. And I say that you're doing the quality of work. And in the United States, I would have to pay X amount of money. I just can't find anybody that, that works well with me. So this is what you're going to get. And they are, their mouths drop open. They're shocked. So we have to start thinking this way and cultivating this one by one by one. I I think so too. It's uh, if I never have to convince another yoga teacher that they, that, that worth and money are not the same and that we just need to have a business mindset about the money, like be practical about it. Like, I feel like we have a lot of language in the yoga industry that I want to unpack. And I hear a lot of people say phrases like charge what you're worth. And I always say you're invaluable. So let's take that off the table. Like you can't, that's, that's the whole game of yoga is, is learning that you're invaluable. Right. Like, so let's now talk about pricing and let's charge what your skill set is worth based on the area and location in which you're offering your goods and services. And, and then it really makes more sense for people to say, okay, maybe I can charge $75 or $100 an hour for a private yoga session if my expertise is going to be valued for whatever. It becomes less about, because we make it all about us and our own self-worth and that's mixed in with money. And that gets really complicated. Well, and I think we, so many of us, and I know I did this before I got my stuff together and went basically through business school. We go backwards. We say, I have this product and I want to try to make $75 an hour. And I'm going to go out there and try to find people who are going to pay me $75 an hour oh my gosh, there's only three of them in this town. I can't do this, right? That's To me, that's backwards. What I would say is let's look at what we need to live, You know, do a budget, figure out, and then add 20 to 30% because God knows there's going to be emergencies and things are going to come up. And then start thinking about what is a realistic business plan. And this doesn't have to be like a formal one that you turn into your bank, but you do need to run these numbers and look at products and how many could I potentially sell and what's the price of look at how you can structure a business with passive income, with giving privates, classes, workshops, retreats, whatever your skill set is, and figure out if it's realistic for you to work full-time in yoga and, and reverse engineer. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And if, it, if, it, if the numbers aren't going to work out, well, then you keep that other waitress job or teaching job or 
part-time job until the numbers can work out. Yeah. I wish somebody would have told me that 15 years ago. So I've been teaching yoga for about 20 years. It's like 18 and a half years. And so all those years when I was teaching 18, 20 classes a week, I've talked about this with other people. Like I was so frustrated the first time I taught a workshop where I could earn what I made in a week in two hours. There you go. (laughs) I was like, why did no one say that? That's right. And, and if you do a very profitable retreat, I know people that have made $40,000 in a retreat for a week. Yep. Now, not everybody can do that, but there are people that can do that. Yes. And if that's how you want to make your income, exactly what you said, say, I want to work X number of weeks a year doing retreats. This is how much I need to make. And then reverse engineer. Okay. So how many tickets do I need to sell? How am I going to sell those tickets? Like how, how many classes am I going to have to teach to get people to trust me enough to give me a $3,500 check for a retreat, right? So now your classes are not $17 an hour. They are a way to build trust with people. So we can all go to Costa Rica together every February. I have, I have friends that they go to a warm place every February and, and make 40 grand. And that's a nice chunk of their yearly income. Yes. I that's, so you need to be on more spaces telling (laughs) yoga folks that like truly the more of us that can talk about other ways to get income. And when I read your website, that was another thing that got me excited. You talking about different income streams because, so I own a brick and mortar yoga studio. I'm here right now. Um, and even within the studio, I'm going, okay, what are my income streams? Okay. I have classes. I don't teach classes, but I do yoga therapy. That's one. Okay. So what about these workshops? What about our own studio retreats? You can do that as an independent yoga therapist. You can do that as a yoga teacher, but just saying you have to treat everything like it's an income stream and make it important. Yeah. I, I, in in our business class, I tell them you start with nine streams, nine different things. And, and that, you know, you can do a live or a, a zoom workshop, but if you set the settings, right now it can, the students didn't show up on it. And so now you can sell it as passive income. That's two, right? So it's nine sounds like a lot, but it wouldn't be that hard to get nine things going like that. No, not at all. Especially if you can repurpose what you're doing. Like you just said, it doesn't have to be you running in nine different directions, but it has to be you purposely moving towards your goal of how much ever you want to make per month. Now, do you also coach your people about niching? Because I feel like niching is self-care for yoga folks, honestly. I mean, that's topic number two after mindset is if you want to just teach general yoga, you can, it's going to be, unless you're famous and have some big crowd following you, it's going to be very difficult because there's so much free yoga out there. How do you, how do you compete? How do you charge enough? How do you, you can't even teach 18 classes a week you know, and, and sustain yourself. But even if you could get, you know, $50 a class or whatever you think you can get, it's still not a lot of money. Right. So we all have to niche down and go global, I think. And it's not that you couldn't have a brick and mortar studio too, but maybe Rebecca has the brick and mortar 
And she's also a specialist in pregnancy, childbirth and postpartum or whatever. Right. And so in that area of your business, you have a global audience and that's a, a smaller niche as one of your streams of income, along with your studio, which is a different one. Yes, I think that is the way that brick and mortar spaces will have to look in the future. I mean, it used to be that brick and mortar spaces, like our niche was where we were located, right? So like my niche is Davenport, Iowa, because that's where I'm located. But honestly, for expansion potential, there's no better potential than looking at online. And why... Why not? And I, I often say that to people like, what's holding you back? Why not try it out? Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you don't like teaching online, but also maybe nobody taught you the skills to do it effectively. And I am so excited about online because we can reach people who don't want to come to studios. I am a person with a larger body that doesn't like to wear tight clothes when I do yoga, doesn't like to be compared to other bodies in the room. I just don't like going to yoga studios. I feel insecure. I feel like people are looking at me. I feel like I don't look right. I can't focus inward. I have some chronic pain. So if a teacher is going to tell me do this, then I'm going to feel torn. Like, do I take care of myself or do I try to please that person? Like the whole studio thing is really hard for me. I have not been in a yoga studio for a decade. There are millions of people out out here like me that want to do yoga online. I have a yes. guy that I, I go to every Thursday. He, I don't have to see anybody and I'm loving it. Right. So the people who are not normal studio people want you. They want to see what niche you have. They want to come join you online in their sweatpants without their hair washed or any makeup on, you know, no Lululemon pants. Mm -hmm. Right. They also, and one of the things that I realized when we shifted online, they also want to be at home when their kids are sleeping. They want to, maybe there's somebody, so I tend to be somebody who's involved in a lot of stuff. Like you strike maybe, maybe that way too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the people who are on the committees and doing the stuff. Other women like us just don't have the time to come to a studio for an hour every single week because sometimes the hour will be in a meeting or sometimes they will have to be running to get stuff. And we're also inaccessible now for really people who need flexibility in their schedule. Yep. Yep. There's so much untapped potential. We haven't even scratched the surface. Everybody in March, 2020 rushed to get online and did their very best. And God bless us all for stepping up and making it happen. But now it's time to refine that, to continue going in that direction for those who want to, to continue to refine the niches, to find your global audience, to write a book on the topic, to, you know, give workshops. Like there is unlimited potential with this tragic situation of COVID. It is crushing life as we know it. Everything from people working remotely to kids being home from school or not home from school. I mean, everything to our finances. Now is the time to step into a new paradigm because the thing is when things are going well, nobody wants a new paradigm. They're like, no. I mean, if you had told all the studio owners five years ago, hey, studio owners, 
you're not going to be able to have your brick and mortar. You're going to have to go online. I, I would bet 80% of them would said, it's not possible. We can't teach yoga online. We can't do adjustments online. We can't see bodies online. Everybody would have said that's not possible. Well, you know what? It was possible. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I see some studio owners out there saying, oh, I'm so glad to get rid of online. And if that's not your thing, that's fine. Right. But to me, I just got good at it. Like I just got good at it. I just now can say, I know the teachers who are really skilled, who work for me, who are online. Like I know which ones can deliver the experience that I want to be delivering online versus in person. I just got good at running a membership. Like I'm, I don't want to give that up. I want to get better at it. Yep. I want you all to get better at it too. Yeah. I hope people, I mean, I understand wanting to go back to brick and mortar, but you know, my, my medical doctor, my allopathic medical doctor has said things are going to open and close for 10 years. Now I know in Iowa, you guys have pretty much stayed open, <laughs> yes. but out here in California, we're opening, we're closing, we're open, we're masks yeah. on, masks off. And my doctor is like, Amy, this, this is going to continue long-term. Don't, don't think this is going away. Like it may morph and shift and not be as bad. And, you know, but basically prepare to be flexible, prepare to, you know, do something different that we, we cannot go back to 10 years ago and just do the same thing we've always done. No. And there's a lot about 10 years ago. I don't want to go back to. Right. So I think that there, we have to, like you said, look at the great parts about online, that there were people we were missing who weren't able to have the experiences we wanted to provide because we weren't online. Absolutely. I mean, I want to continue providing that for people. I know there's plenty of other yoga folks out there who do too. So yes, I agree with you. And it loops us back to the poverty mentality. If I, I live in a town and literally we have a post office and a bar, that's my town. That's it. If I kept in my poverty mentality, which I did for many years and thought I have to make a living within 10 miles of me or whatever. And there's three other yoga studios up here, by the way, you know, in surrounding towns, I would not have made it. It was only because I got out of my comfort zone. I got out of my poverty mentality. I started thinking global that things have started to really flow. And and a lot of it, all all of it, my business is 100% online now. So I want to leave people with that because that's really inspiring. And I want to remind them to make sure that they listen to Amy's podcast, the yoga therapy hour, which is in partnership with the give back yoga foundation, which is part of my jam is nonprofit world. So I love that partnership. That's really cool. Mm. Now I have one final question for you. Do you have a self care tip for our listeners? I mean, there's so many, I, I do a yeah. lot of stuff, but my, my big thing is an Epsom salt bath. Ooh, yeah. That's just, I, it completely resets me whether I'm in pain or I'm frazzled or I'm overwhelmed or doesn't matter. Really Every, all problems are taken care of by an Epsom salt bath. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my husband feels the same way. He is a big Epsom salt bath taker. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So Amy, will you tell people where to find you? Sure. Um, My website is www.amywheeler.com. 
And you could also email me at yoga at amywheeler.com. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled, honored all of the words because I've been following you and your work for years because you, you are a name in the yoga therapy world, you must know, and I've been following you forever. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. It's always so nice to connect and just feel so comfortable with another Iowan. There's just something <laughs> in, in our bones that I just like, yep. ah, I feel grounded with this woman. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the podcast. I am honored and thrilled. And we had such an amazing and smart conversation about money mindset and poverty mindset. These are things that I am excited to unpack on this podcast and with the yoga community. I truly think that the more we can really do a hard wrestle with our attitudes about money, the better off us and our industry will be. So stay tuned next week, my friend Secrets on the podcast. And in the meantime, also, if you are a 200-hour yoga teacher and you are in the Midwest looking to have a 500-hour teacher training experience, mine is launching next month in September. So you can always follow along on my Instagram page. You can follow me at Rebecca Sebastian Yoga or at my studio at sunlight underscore yoga underscore center, and you'll get all the information there. I'll see you next week. Bye.